Hear now the reading of God's word from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Please pray with me. Most gracious Father, you've promised to bless the preaching of your word, for your words are the very words of life. Therefore, be merciful to us as we hear from your word at this time. Free us from any distracting thoughts. Help us to sit under your word and not above it. Remind us again of how truly amazing your grace is and the gospel of your Son. We ask that you would speak through your servant and declare the precious truths enclosed in the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. Bless your people, O Lord. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Every year, around this time of year, and across America, something is in the air. All of a sudden, people are decorating their homes with festive and colorful lights. Coworkers you've never talked to show up in front of your house with cookies and chocolates. Department stores run out of stock and are, start playing Michael Buble and Mariah Carey songs on repeat. And there are even some cars on the freeway with little antlers and a red nose. Truly, tis the season to be jolly. But why is it the season to be jolly? For those in the world who want no part of Jesus, Christmas may mean time off work or school. It may mean getting gifts desired for a very long time, eating big meals and spending precious time with loved ones. All of these blessings from our Heavenly Father. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, Christmas is so much more. For those who are in Christ Jesus, Christmas takes on a much bigger meaning. We'll explore why this is in our text today. In our passage today, Paul's basic assertion is that God's verdict on sinners is in. God's verdict on Christians is in. It's been signed, sealed, delivered, never to be revoked or rescinded. And what does this verdict say? It says, not guilty. It says, no condemnation. How can this be? We'll examine Paul's declaration under three headings. First, the guilt of sin. Second, the weakness of the law. 
And third, the resolution of God. First, the guilt of sin, the weakness of the law, and the resolution of God. First, the guilt of sin. Our passage begins, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. While this is a glorious truth for some, it is not so for all. Note that it is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is only for those who have believed in him, have received and rested upon him alone for salvation by faith. But this means that this truth is terrifying for everyone else. Said negatively, Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore still condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. And why is there a condemnation? Look with me to verse 4 in our passage. It's because of the righteous requirement of the law. Because God is a holy God, he demands righteousness of us. But it's not just any righteousness that God demands. He's not content with a decent, spotty, occasional righteousness. But as our larger catechism states, God demands personal, perfect, and perpetual righteousness. Personal, perfect, and perpetual. Only someone with such a righteousness could ever deserve God's favor, could ever deserve to be worthy of eternal life with him. Only such a righteousness could say, there is therefore now no condemnation for me. Yet the overwhelming testimony of the Bible is that since Adam's first sin, as he read earlier in Genesis 3, we are utterly incapable of living up to that righteousness. David confessed in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David was not saying he was born out of wedlock or out of adultery or anything like that. Instead, he was confessing that even from his birth, by virtue of the original sin inherited from Adam and Eve, by ordinary generation, that is, by natural birth, we are worthy of nothing but condemnation. But not only are we condemned for the sin that Adam committed as our representative, we are also condemned for our actual sins, the sins that we commit ourselves. Verse 2 in our passage says, We have been set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. But said negatively, apart from Christ Jesus, this, passage, this verse says that we are captives to the law of sin and death. Here Paul uses the word law, not in terms of a legal precept or a legal uh, rule like one of the Ten Commandments. He means law as a governing principle, just like when we speak of the law of gravity. Just as the law of gravity rules our everyday, such that if I were to drop something, it would fall on the ground, or if I were to jump off the stage, I would certainly fall to the ground. Paul is saying that apart from Christ Jesus, sin and death rule our every day. Apart from him, we are in bondage to sin and death. 
We are subject to its guilt and power. We helplessly do its bidding. And as we sang earlier today, we are under Satan's tyranny. As one pastor has said, not only are we hopeless of achieving this righteousness apart from Christ, we are helpless. Our problem is not that we need a spiritual cleaning up, a few moral stains cleaned here and there. Our problem is not that we need spiritual medicine to make us a little better than what we used to be. No, the Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Can a dead person reach out and grab life-saving medication? Can a person dead in the water reach out, swim up, and grab a life preserver? If our problems are sin and death itself, we cannot help ourselves. We don't need just a little help. We need something else. We need new life. What can we say to all these things? But confess with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We stand condemned before a terrifyingly holy God, a blindingly good God, who sees all and knows all, and whose wrath, as Romans 1 says, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Friends, let me ask you, can there be anything but condemnation for us apart from Christ? We stand condemned by the righteous requirement of the law, guilty before the heavenly judge. Second, the weakness of the law. In verse 3, it says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. If, you, if, you know, if you're familiar with Romans 7, this is very peculiar. Paul has just said in Romans 7, verse 12, that the law is holy, righteous, and good. But now, Paul changes his tone. He speaks now of the law's weakness. And how is it weak? Verse 4 gives us two answers. Uh, sorry, verse 3. That the law cannot produce righteousness and is weakened by the flesh. I think we know this intuitively. The function of any law seems really to be to curb lawlessness, not to produce righteousness. Think of speed limits. It seems like speed limits are only there to be broken. And from personal experience, I can confidently say that speed limits have never produced righteousness in any driver. But not only is the law insufficient to produce righteousness, it is weakened by the flesh, namely our sinful nature. Because of the perverse wickedness of the human heart, even that which is good is unable to produce good in us. Speed limits are good and do well to ensure the safety of drivers. But as we know, they're constantly undermined by the sinfulness or maybe the impatience of human drivers. Likewise, God's law, though holy, righteous, and good, is undermined by our sin. It is weakened by the flesh. 
God's law cannot make us righteous, let alone make us perfectly, personally, and perpetually righteous. Israel's repeated failures are a testimony of the the law's impotence. They receive the oracles of God face-to-face with Moses as a representative, and yet they could not keep the law. Yet they could not be made righteous. Because of our wickedness, all that the law can do now is to tell us of our sin and point us to Christ. The law looks upon our lives like an IRS auditor with exacting precision and points his finger at all the ways in which you sinned with your words, your thoughts, and your actions. Nothing escapes its gaze. And what is the verdict that the law comes up with? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You stand accused, bloody hands and all, before the judgment seat of the most holy God. Friends, you might be feeling the weight of this. If you're like me, you can see the, the, the sin, the guilt of your sin, all around your life. If you're like me, you can smell the stench of sin all around your life. Sometimes frightening to look inside my own heart. You can hear the law condemning you at every point. Guilty. 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 You can hear Satan's whispers. Did God really say that you could be forgiven in Christ? That all your sins could be forgiven in Christ? You can hear him whisper, do you really think that God will forgive you again for the thousandth time? Do you really think that God could love someone as wretched as you? Satan, the world and even your own flesh may accuse you. But praise be to God that they do not get the final say. God gets the final say. And what does he say? He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To paraphrase one of my favorite commentators about this verse, note that Paul does not say, There is no accusation against them. For this there is. But the accusation is thrown out the indictment is squashed. Notice that Paul does not say there is nothing in them that deserves condemnation. For this there is. But Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation. The accusation is there. We deserve condemnation. But God gets the final say. And for that, brothers and sisters, praise be to God, for God who made this possible in Jesus Christ. That leads us to our final point, the resolution of God. 
God has acted in human history to overcome the great guilt of our sin and the weakness of the law. We are truly guilty. We are sinners who walk into the courtroom guilty and yet exit somehow innocent. The law is weakened by the flesh, but our God is mighty to save. What does verse 3 say? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Let's peel back the layers of this magnificent truth together, shall we? By sending his own son. God did not leave us sinners in our wretched condition. He could have abandoned us. He could have wiped us out and started anew. He could have turned a blind eye. After all, he is God. And yet, in the councils of eternity, God chose to look at you, a sinner worthy of eternal wrath because of your sins, and chose to love you, to have mercy upon you. And because he loved you, he sent his own son on a rescue mission to ransom you from sin and death. All this he did for you. And the likeness of sinful flesh. This is the meaning of Christmas, is it not? Jesus was not coerced or tricked into coming into this world, but he came willingly because he loved you. What's more, he did not come into the world adorned in magnificent glory as the second person of the Trinity, but rather took upon himself the weakness of human flesh. He was born a baby, not by ordinary generation, but as we read earlier, the Holy Spirit overshadowing the Virgin Mary so that he was free of original sin. Can you imagine that Jesus exchanged the heights of heaven for the depths of earth? And at first century A.D. Palestine at that can you, can you imagine that he left the heavenly host to live among the weakest, the vilest, the poor? He set aside eternal bliss to know sorrow, anguish, betrayal, pain, and even death itself. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, and was tempted and tried in every way, just as we are, and yet he was without sin. He was personally, perfectly, and perpetually righteousness, righteous. And all this he did for you. By sending his own son for us, he condemns sin in the flesh. Or sorry, by sending his son for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Jesus did not come merely to save and heal a few sick people and to share a few maxims to live by. 
Christ's mission was to wage war against our greatest enemy, sin and death. Remember David fighting Goliath on behalf of God's people who are all cowering behind him. Likewise, Jesus was our champion fighting on our behalf against an even greater foe than Goliath, sin and death. But unlike David, who won a mighty victory and gained great honor for himself, our sinless Savior died a lonely and humiliating death, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took all our guilt, our shame, our sins to that cross, and there he hung like a sack of meat until every last drop of God's just wrath against sin was poured out upon him. Instead of condemning us, he was condemned. And in so doing, sin was condemned in the flesh. And all all this Jesus did for you. But that's not the end of our story, is it? We don't worship a Jesus who's dead in the grave. We don't worship a Jesus whose bones are still in the ground. We worship a Jesus who rose again on the third day. Our Savior died and rose to new life, declaring once and for all that the penalty for past, present, and future sin has been paid. God the Father has accepted his perfect life and his perfect death and his wrath against sin has been appeased. You see that in Christ, God's justice and God's love perfectly met and have been resolved in him. And what about us? The iron shackles of sin and death that once chained God's people have clattered off such that we are no longer slaves to sin and death, no longer slaves to condemnation or fear. Christ has set you free and has taken the condemnation meant for you. All this he did for you. These are the priceless treasures stored up in the treasury of the gospel. But Paul is clear. These are only true for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a visitor here today who has not professed faith in Christ, know that these promises are not yet for you. Christ lived, died, and was raised to save his people. We who have come to believe in him have him as our great advocate who pleads our cause with his own righteousness. And the verdict is, no condemnation. But if you're not in Christ, that is, if you do not believe in him, you are cut off from these promises. One day you will die and find yourself before the judgment seat of God with nothing but your works. You may be known as a great person by those around you. You may even dare to consider yourself a good person 
But know this, the holiness of God demands moral perfection. God says that if you fail at even one point of the law, you are guilty of it all. The law of God will accuse you on everything you ever did, ever said, ever thought, and you will be found guilty in every way. If that's you, know that there is a solution. I plead with you, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Call upon Jesus who knows you, yes, even the worst parts of you, and yet loves you perfectly. Call upon Jesus who was forsaken by God at the cross so that you would be never forsaken. You say you have skeletons in your, clo- in your closet and grievous sin in your heart. Join the club. You say the fires of anger, discontentment, hatred, jealousy, and lust burn in your heart. But remember, Jesus is not the law. Jesus does not scold you for your mistakes. He does not look at you like a hawk, just waiting for you to slip up. Jesus does not scoff at your lack of righteousness and turn aside to look for another to save. Jesus instead offers out his hand and says, if you humbly come before him, turning from your sins, looking to him as your only hope, he is faithful and just to forgive you all your sins. When you leave today, when you walk out those doors, you will either leave in Christ or in your sins. I plead with you, come to Jesus today. There's just one last part in our passage today. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I just want you to note a few things here. First, notice that Paul does not command, therefore, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does he say? He says the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk? He roots our living, our walking, in our identity, in who we already are in Christ. And who are we? If we're in Christ, we are people for whom there is no condemnation. We are people who have been freed from sin and death. That means our obedience is no longer out of compulsion or out of fear, but out of love and gratitude for our Savior. That means that we don't have to live in bondage to sin anymore. We don't have to live according to the ways of the world we can choose the better portion in this life. The joys of living in communion with God by the Spirit until one day, that glorious day, we will be with him forever. But don't just remember who you are. Remember whose you are. You, a former slave to sin and death, have been bought with the price, that precious blood of Jesus Christ so that you belong now in the family 
of God. You belong now to Christ, and nothing, nothing will ever separate you from his love. So dear friends, walk as you are. A sinner saved by grace and a beloved, precious child of God. For anyone in here who who doubts this, that God can consider you precious. I brought the receipts just in case. The holes where the nails were hammered into the feet and hands of Christ. The empty tomb and the linens folded neatly where he once lay. All testify you are his and his forever. But what happens when we stumble in our Christian lives? What happens when the walking gets tough? What happens when we feel and look like toddlers first learning to walk, legs quaking, stumbling, on and on? When that happens, not if, but when that happens, I want you to remember two things. First, know that just as you do not justify yourself, you do not sanctify yourself. You do not and cannot make yourself holy by just trying really hard. There is certainly a place for discipline and diligence in our Christian lives, but you are not the ultimate actor in your salvation or your sanctification. Well then, who is? Well, there's a a third character in our text today that we failed to mention. We talked about what God has done. We saw what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 2. We also have the spirit of life who set us free and now walks with us. Christ has not left us alone at the resurrection, at the glorification, but has sent forth his spirit who now lives and reigns in you. Christian, take courage and do not lose heart. For the Spirit is far more powerful than your greatest temptation, your greatest weakness, your greatest limitation. Because the Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So rely on the Spirit, depend on Him, desire to be filled with Him, so that as someone once prayed, that his comforts may cheer you in your sorrows, that his strength may sustain you in your trials, that his blessings revive you in your weariness, his might establish you in peace and in joy, his incitements make you ceaseless in prayer, and his animation kindled in you undying devotion. What a beautiful picture it is to be a, a, a child of God walking according to the Spirit. Dear friends, we live in a world of superlatives where everything just needs to be the greatest of all time, the awesomest, the most epic. But verse 4 here gently reminds us, as Christians, we are called to walk. You don't have to look over your shoulder anymore. Fearful, constantly afraid of God's judgment. The verdict is already in. 
you are clothed in Christ's robe of personal, perfect, and perpetual righteousness. So walk as you are, joyfully remembering who you are in Christ, whose you are, and relying upon the Spirit. To conclude, at the beginning of this message, I spoke briefly about the meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas. As you go about enjoying the rest of your Lord's Day today and Christmas Day tomorrow, I hope you think about this passage, this divine assurance of pardon because of what God has done for you in Christ and by the Spirit. This is the true meaning of Christmas. We have the greatest gift, Christ himself, come in the likeness of sinful flesh. Of course, Christmas will not be ultimate fulfillment of God's resolution to save his people. That would come 33 years later at the cross and at the empty tomb. But Christmas was a sign that God's plan was in action. After all, what did the prophet Isaiah prophesy about Jesus? But that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. That little baby in that manger would grow up in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin. He would willingly lay down his life at the cross where he would die for the sins of his people and condemn sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He took upon himself every last drop of God's wrath against sin so that, friends, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Most gracious Father, words cannot even describe and adequately capture the true gift that it is, the the gift of salvation, that we've been freed from the law of sin and death, been set free, that we are now considered righteous because we are clothed in the precious blood of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for all the believers in here that we would be able to bathe in this promise. We saturated with this promise and that it would give us hope in this life. Fill us with joy and enliven us, energize us to live lives worthy of this calling. And if there's anyone among us here, O Lord, who has not professed faith in you, in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would enliven their hearts, that you would quicken them and draw them to you. Let this be done, O Lord. Bless your people, O Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.